to finish, we're going to finish our discussion of the great prostitute of Babylon, and then we're going to transition into the marriage feast of the Lamb and the new creation. Um, that's where we're going the next two days. Before we go there, um, you know, we I, I've been explaining this historicist view of all of this stuff. Like the beast is Rome, the second beast is Nero. Uh, we'll argue more fully today that the great prostitute is a symbol of Jerusalem. And that all of this is about the Jewish-Roman war and the destruction of the temple in 70. Um, but, you know, as we've gone, we've also been like, hmm, can we make it like map onto European railroad systems? Or can we try to make an argument that... Um, the uh, it's all about the Little Mermaid, or that one of the beasts is Mushu, and and one of them is Disney. Or so, I figured it out though. I figured it out. All right, first beast has how many horns on its head? Ten, and each of the horns represents a a, a king or a ruler. All right. The second beast has how many horns on its head? It looks like a lamb and it has two. two. So we have ten rulers on the first beast. You've got two on the second beast. That gives you how many? Twelve. And then you have this great prostitute of Babylon, which is, in some way, she looks like a high priest, so she has some sort of authority there. So let's just lump her in. How many figures do we have? Thirteen. 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 How many Disney princesses? Thirteen. Thirteen. Oh, man. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah. Um, so, um, we're, we're not going to have a discussion about which one is the great... No, okay. Um, so, so, Gray caught that. <laughs> so, uh, we're not going to go there. But it's probably the one that's followed around by ten men and then kisses an eleventh. So, um, no, is it, tw- is it ten or twelve? What are you talking about? Yeah, it's followed around by seven. That's a very biblical number. And then, um, you know, so, um, so anyways, um, you know, we're getting deep here. Uh, Ron DeSantis, help us out. Um, So (laughs) that was also a joke. So, all right, um, let's get serious now. Uh, Go Revelation 17. How not to read Revelation, right? Um, saw one person present an argument that um, the number of the beast corresponds to Barney the Purple Dinosaur. That's funny. They remade that show. How did they manage that one? Yeah, it's animated. It was very funny. They, they translated, I, I think it was something like they translated Barney the Purple Dinosaur into Latin and then took out all of the vowels, and then did Latin um, letters number things, and it came out to 666 or something like that. So, you know, I, I could I buy it, right? Barney's kind of terrifying. I mean, like, how many of you growing up sang a song about murdering Barney? Because I did. I did. Um, do you, you, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Like, like as far as into, like, my eighth grade year we would go around singing a song about killing Barney and then, like, flushing him down the toilet. And, wow, okay, you guys, some of you look very mortified. Ashley knows exactly what I'm talking about. So I remember very clearly 
uh, eighth grade year in the Dayton City School Library getting in trouble because like five of us were chanting that song. So, and if you don't know, one of your classmates can sing it to you later. Um, But uh, let's look at Revelation 17. So we've been introduced to the first beast with the ten kings. How many heads does the first beast have? Seven. Seven. All right. Um, seven, seven heads with ten horns, and we identify that as Rome in this reading of Revelation. Other people do it differently. That's okay. All right? This is a hard book. We can disagree on dating and, and interpretation. That's fine. The way that we're taking it, um, that, that's, uh, that's Rome. The second beast uh, is who? The 666 guy. We take that to be Nero, all right, the persecutor of the church. Uh, you can either pledge allegiance to Nero and escape persecution, or you can take the mark of the lamb, which the mark of the lamb is what shape? A cross. You can take up the cross. You can follow after the crucified lamb, which means, especially at this point in history, that means that you might what? Literally be taking up a cross. Cross. So it's a Revelation 13 and 14 is asking you a question about your allegiance. Do you pledge it to Nero in Rome or do you pledge it to Christ? Well, we then get into chapter 17 where we're um, in the next two days. We we're going to be introduced to two women. One of them is the great whore of Babylon. One of them is the pure bride of the lamb. All right. And, and there's a contrast between these two women. These two women are two cities. We're going to learn that. I'm going to say that one of them is the earthly Jerusalem, and then the other one is called the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. So in chapter 17, we already went through a portion of this, but let's review it. Um, This great prostitute, um, let's describe her quickly. Um, What city is she kind of being, what's her moniker, the great prostitute, and she's identified with what, what city? Babylon. Um, Jerusalem has gone by the name in, in Revelation Sodom and Egypt. So it's not unthinkable that this is, even though she's being called Babylon, that this is also a, um, a, another metaphor for Jerusalem, uh, especially as we keep on considering her. Um, what is she seated on? Uh, yeah, and it's the first beast. It's the beast with ten horns on its seven heads. So she's seated on the first beast. So uh, she is in league with... Um, what's she in league with? Rome. Right? She's in league with Rome. Um, keep describing her. What, she's, what is she wearing? Purple and scarlet, which is, um, what should that make you think of? High priest. Yeah, purple and scarlet, this is um, high priestly garments. So right there, um, this, should, this should make us feel something. Um, we read in the Old Testament that Israel is supposed to be a nation of priests that makes knowledge of God available to the rest of the world. But a lot of times... Israel fails to do that, and they worship the gods of the nations, and they're spoken of like an adulterer, right? And so here, um, you've got this um, woman dressed like a priest, but she is being spoken of very badly, 
prostitute language. Reminds you of what book from the Old Testament? A, a guy marries a woman who then goes astray. Hosea. Maybe it reminds you of Hosea. We could also look at some very graphic parts of Ezekiel that this would remind us of a lot. Um, what is um, a high priest? You keep thinking about a high priest. What does a high priest wear on his head? A turban. What is written on the turban? Holy, holy to the Lord. Um, This woman has something written on her forehead. It's not holy, holy to the Lord. What is written on her forehead? Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and births abominations. Yeah, Uh, we'll just write abominations. Not holy, but abominable. But not like the snowman. He winds up being nice. Um, You know, this uh, this is far worse. I will say, like, I think my favorite part of, like, the Christmas season, apart from celebrating, like, Jesus' birth and all of that stuff, which is, you know, the main thing, I think my favorite part is watching that little uh, Rudolph movie where the abominable snowman, like, comes in at the last scene and is like, roar, and all the people are like, oh, no, and then Yukon Cornelius is like, hey, it's good, and then it, like, goes over and puts the star right on top of the tree for him, and, like, I just, that makes me so happy. Um, But this is not what she's like. She is not a nice, abominable snowman. She is just abominable. Um, what is she drinking? A cup of sexual immorality and impurities? The blood of the saints. The blood of the saints. Wait, what's the yeah, she drinks the blood of the saints. So... Um, why are we identifying this uh, with Jerusalem? Well, if we're taking this reading where Revelation is about the 70 AD event, you see that this lines up really, really well. Um, Is it true in the Old Testament that God's people are sometimes compared to Sodom, Egypt, and Babylon? They are. Their sins are just as bad. Um, Let's keep reading for a minute and see what happens between her and the first beast. Um, Looking at the end of verse 6, John says, When I saw her, I what? Marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you. Oh, wait, the word marvel. You see that this is really about Disney. Who owns Marvel? Disney Disney does. Well, why do you you marvel? Hey, it's all coming. No, I'm just kidding. Why do you marvel? I'll tell you the mystery of the woman. So notice what the angel is saying there. He's saying, I'm about to explain this to you. I'll tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are on which the woman is seated. Anybody know what Rome is nicknamed in the ancient world? City of seven hills. And the seven heads of this beast represent seven hills or seven mountains. How would John's audience interpret that? He's writing to these seven churches, 
that are in the Roman Empire, and he says, this beast has seven heads, and the seven heads represent seven mountains. And, and where do the Roman emperors rule from? Remember, the ten horns are on those seven heads. And horns always, every single time they show up in the Bible, represent a ruler. So where do Roman emperors rule from? Top of the mountains. Top of the mountains of, of Rome. So how would those seven churches have understood this prophecy? probably Rome, right? He goes on in verse 10. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven and it goes to destruction. I'm not going to get into Roman political history right here, but look it up sometimes if you want to have an idea of what that might be about. The ten horns that you saw are ten kings, okay, who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. In verse 15, The angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. Um, Bodies of water in the Old Testament often represent Gentile nations. So the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. So where is she right now? She's seated what? On top of the beast. But then it says that the beast will what her? In verse 15. Or sorry, 16. That the beast will hate her. So right now, at the beginning of Revelation 17, does it look like they're getting along or not getting along? They're getting along. But what John says is the beast will hate And then it says, they, meaning the beast and the kings and all of those things that it represents, they will make the prostitute desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. So the woman represents a great city and the beast is going to do what to that great city? Right. Okay. So the way that we would understand it in our reading of Revelation big picture is basically this. The beast is Rome. The woman is Jerusalem. There's a period in which Jerusalem and Rome are in league with each other. Um, Who crucifies Jesus? The Pharisees uh, oppose Jesus, but then who do they hand him over to? The Romans. So they're in concert to crucify Jesus together. And and then... um, 
are the synagogues able to persecute the people of God for a while? The synagogues are able to persecute the people of God for a while. Um, and does Rome really step in to change anything? No. When Rome really steps in, they join in on the persecution, right? Uh, we've talked about that with like the book of Matthew or the book of Hebrews and how there's this period where Judaism is legal, Christianity is illegal, all right? But then eventually the Romans are going to turn not only against the Christians, but also against the Jews in Jerusalem. So even though there's this period of time where the two powers are in league with each other, eventually, what does the beast do to the prostitute? Devours her, destroys her, and she's laid waste. So Revelation 17 seems to be painting kind of this symbolic picture here. Um, One of the difficulties with this reading is in verse 18, where it says that the woman is a great city that has dominion over what? Kings. Kings. Why would that be a little bit of a difficulty for this reading that we're presenting? Yeah, Rome has dominion over kings. Um, Is Jerusalem really an authority for Gentile nations? No. No. So how might we explain that? You guys be creative for a minute. How might you explain that? What, what does John mean by saying, if, if, if this is right and this really is Jerusalem, what does he maybe mean by saying Jerusalem has dominion over the kings of the earth? Maybe dominion, well, maybe not dominion, maybe more of like, more in the public eye. No, I, I think I just described myself that much. Okay. Well, it's going to be destroyed. So he's saying the great city has dominion, but then the beast is going to destroy it. So if the woman is Jerusalem, how do we, how do we interpret it saying that Jerusalem has dominion over the kings of the earth at this point in history, when really Rome's in charge? Yeah. So it said that it has dominion over the kings of the earth, not the nations. So maybe the kings are very, very focused on what's happening in Jerusalem because... Uh, What do you think, Gray? Like the King of Kings and Lord of Lords thing, and maybe it's the temple that, like, since that's God's dwelling place, maybe that could be some kind of dominion picture over the kings and with the temple destroyed. That doesn't take God away, but it can at least make it seem like they don't have as much power over that. I've wrestled with that a a bit, and and I think that that's kind of the line of thought that I would maybe follow out, is up until this point in history, whenever Jerusalem's destroyed in 70, it is the center of spiritual authority on earth. Because the people in Jerusalem worship the one true God. And the way that you worship the one true God is you go to his temple in Jerusalem. Now, do all the kings of the nations acknowledge that? Do Do they acknowledge that Jerusalem is home to the one true God. They don't acknowledge that. But if they were to, if they were to know the truth, Jerusalem would be the place that has, in a sense, a spiritual dominion, a spiritual rule, because that's the place where God has put his name, 
right? And so that's being taken away whenever the temple is destroyed in 70. No longer are people going to flock to Jerusalem, to the temple, to, you know, try to come into communion with God there. Um, That prestige that Jerusalem has had is going to be taken away because it's going to be laid waste. So that's the way that I would kind of interpret it. Um, I have to admit that that is not completely satisfying to me. I think big picture, this reading of Revelation uh, makes sense to me. I think big picture, this idea that it's about the Jewish-Roman War uh, in the mid-60s and 70s, big picture, it works. There are some details that are still very confusing to me. And this is one that I have to admit I haven't fully reconciled in my mind. But here's a question. Um, Any reading of Revelation that you take, are there going to be details that are probably still fuzzy? Yeah, If if you take a futurist view... Are there going to be parts of this book that are still quite unclear to you? Yeah. You have your big chart. Yeah, I've seen before that people like have these big charts and maps of Revelation, right? All right, you got your big chart and your big map and, uh, of, of, of end-time history, right? Um, do those, are those perfectly going to account for every detail in Revelation, you think? No. So there has to be a humility that we have in this approach. Um, I have to be willing to admit that this historicist reading could be wrong. I don't think it is, but it could be. And there are details that, that, that are sometimes a little bit difficult. In chapter 18, um, uh, someone read chapter 18, verses 1 and 2, and it basically gives us the thrust of the entire chapter. So what happens to Babylon in the beginning of chapter 18? She's a dead corpse. Yeah, she's a dead corpse. She's fallen. It's destroyed. So in a historicist reading, chapter 18, Jerusalem gets wrecked. Wait, is Jerusalem Babylon? That, I think so. In, in, in the symbolism here, you remember like in Isaiah, you remember like in Isaiah um, chapter one, Isaiah says, if the Lord had not left us a remnant, we would have become like Sodom and Gomorrah. And in chapter 11, um, he says, symbolically, the city where the Lord is crucified is called Sodom in Egypt. And so here, I think he's calling Jerusalem Babylon in order to say they're just as wicked. They're comparable to it. So I think the great prostitute called Babylon is a symbol of the city of Jerusalem. And I think it's an insult to call her Babylon. Right? So, um, yeah. Any of you guys have a sibling you don't like very much? So imagine that uh, your parents want to kind of dig at you, and they call you by your sibling's name. That would be really weird. Or the dog, right? Uh, any of any of your parents ever call you by the pet's name? No. Oh, really? That happens to me all the time. Um, hey, um, 
Somebody tell me, um, so Babylon's going to be destroyed, and then what's going to live in, uh, so Babylon, symbol for Jerusalem, all right? So Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. What's going to live there? Mm-hmm. Um, anybody have a KJV? Um, do you have an old KJV? Anybody have an old KJV? Anybody have a cell phone? Ashley, is your cell phone on? Yes. Um, look up Revelation 18.2 in old KJV. And it's not because I know necessarily what's there. I'm just curious about something. I want you to read 18.2 in the KJV. And I hope that they have more fun with it than the ESV is. Unclean and what? Hateful bird. Yeah, you notice that the bird one, um, it's adding a word. ESV just says unclean bird, and it says unclean and hateful bird. It's because no one knows what to do with that language. In the Old Testament, whenever a city is judged and destroyed, um, this happens in Nahum chapter 2. It also happens in the book of uh, Isaiah. Whenever a place is destroyed, it will sometimes say that the hooting owl or the screeching owl, uh, it will become an inhabitant of the hooting owl or the screeching owl. What's really interesting about that is that in Hebrew, that is the same word used in other Jewish literature that's not in the Bible for a specific demon named Lilith. Lilith is a half woman, half owl-ish, vampire-ish woman thing. And um, so in, uh, in the Old Testament, a lot of times we'll translate it. Uh, it'll become an habitation for the screech owl. Um, I would translate it. It will become an habitation for Lilith. Um, in the Old Testament and here, remember that um, earlier in this book, in chapter 9, it talks about how people did not give up their sorceries and their worship of demons. Basically what's happening whenever a place is judged is they have worshipped other gods. And these other gods are not gods. Sometimes the scriptures say they're not real because they're not God in the way that God is God. But the scriptures also will say that behind false modes of worship are what? Actual Actual demonic powers. So what we see as a principle in scripture is that whenever you worship the old false gods, one of the ways that God judges is that he gives you those gods. The demons come. You've invited them in, you've worshipped them, and then they come. But the bad news is, um, you probably worship them because you think, oh, I can appease them, and then they'll be nice to me. No, they hate you a lot. So here, um, Jerusalem has practiced sorcery, they've worshipped demons, and now one of the ways that they're being judged is not only has their city fallen, but the demons have come. And they are inhabiting the place now, including maybe this Lilith figure, uh, the unclean and hateful bird. So uh, chapter 18 basically just goes, it's poetry. You notice that 18 breaks and it's just a lot of short vignettes, uh, just a lot of short poems. Um, And part of these are, um, you know, kind of uh, mourning cries 
for Babylon, but some of them are the saints rejoicing that this city that has done so much violence has now been destroyed and judgment has come. The prayers of the martyrs back in chapter 6 has been answered and vengeance has fallen on, on those who hated them. Then um, we get a break after chapter 18. We've been looking at happenings on the earth uh, and, and the, the seals and the bowls of wrath and all of that stuff. Chapter 19, where are we again? Read chapter, um, someone read chapter 19 verses 1 and 2. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth of her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. So where are we again? We're getting a heavenly vision, and the multitude, which the multitude, yeah, the multitude earlier in Revelation, like in chapter 7, is humans, right? They're, they're, they're human beings who have been saved and now are in heaven. So they're crying out, hallelujah, praise Yahweh, because he has avenged us on the great prostitute. Um, continues on in verses 3 through 5 uh, with more worship in heaven, including the worship of the 24 elders and four living creatures that we met in chapters 4 and 5. And then listen to this. Listen to how heaven is described in verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this down. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at the angel's feet to worship him. But he said to me, no, you mustn't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So what happens in heaven? What do they celebrate? marriage feast between the lamb and his bride. bride. Blessed are those who are invited (laughs) to that marriage supper of the lamb. So Jesus says on the night that he's betrayed, he institutes the Lord's supper. And then he says, I will not take of this vine again until I receive it with you in glory. And here that's happening. Uh, One of the ways to view the Lord's supper is is as an appetizer to this feast. Heaven is described as a marriage feast between the bride and his, the, the bride and the lamb. And so whenever we take the Lord's Supper, it points us forward to this feast that we'll have with Christ in glory. It's one of the ways that you can view the supper. Uh, the rest of chapter 19 is, um, it's, it's war. Uh, the lamb comes and fights against um, Gog and Magog, which I'm not going to get into what that is. Actually, I, just take my word for it. Um, that's at bash code for Babylon. Babylon, Babylon. You guys remember what at bash code is? 
Jeremiah uses this. Um, at bash code is this cryptic way of writing where A is Z, B is Y, C is X. Is that right? So um, if you look at Gog and Magog, it's at bash code for Babel and Babylon. And um, Jeremiah uses that at the end of his book to talk about God sending judgment on Babylon, but he does it in a cryptic way so that if a Babylonian gets this and is reading it, it's not, oh, these Jewish usurpers are out to get us. Um, Ezekiel does the same thing. And so um, we have the Gog and Magog fight here, which I think is just like another picture of judgment befalling um, on, on, on Jerusalem. Um, chapter 20 um, is probably the text that you're very interested in. It's all the millennium stuff. But I'm much more anxious to talk about the new heavens and new earth. And I'm the teacher, so I get to decide what we do. So we're going to do that instead. Question. You ready for this question? Where do you spend eternity? Well, what do you believe, Ashley? I, I believe in Jesus. I was just saying. <laughs> Theoretically. Does it really matter? What is two plus two? Well, that depends on what you believe. Well, what do you believe? I believe in Jesus. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what Jesus takes. Hey, Jesus is the answer to everything, including two plus two. <laughs> See, um, <Okay>. no, <laughs> um, Yes. God's going to terraform Mars. We're all going to live on a terraformed Mars. That's the new creation. New heaven and new Mars. Earth. <laughs> okay, so what it is is all the Disney okay, princesses so, come back. Yes. Yes. That is the millennium. Whenever all the cartoon Disney princesses come to life and then Ursula is 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 put in chains of gloomy darkness where she can't steal pretty voices anymore. And um Oh, that's the ring. Yeah, they do that and but um it's actually beautiful and um it's a reverser uh, all things evil are made new and we get to hang out with um Elsa, but she has figured out how not to ice us to death. So, um, Olaf is thrown into the lake of fire, but he actually enjoys it because he really loves summertime. Um, so, um, I'll become a <gasps> really happy snow. Um, so, I gasped. The first time I watched that movie, and he looks at the puddle and goes, oh, and I was like, oh no. <laughs> like, I got really serious, and then he's like, totally oblivious. So, um, I, like, I like Frozen a little bit more than I would like to admit. Like, I, 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 I love the dude who's like, yoo-hoo, big summer blowout. Like, I, I, I quote that on a weekly basis to my wife. Like, anytime we drive by somewhere that is like, um, like end of season sell or something. <laughs> so, um, all right. So let's look at Revelation 21 and 22 for the last few minutes, and then we'll do this tomorrow, and then we'll be done with the Bible. Not really, but done with this class's study of the Bible. Uh, Faith just throws it. It's like, I don't need this anymore. Um, 
All right. Let's just let's just read it for the last of class. We won't get through all of it. So we're going to do Revelation 21 and 22. Whatever we don't finish right here, read it again tonight. All right. And then we're going to talk about it tomorrow. But if we read it, then I can just talk about it and not um, really point at every detail because you kind of have it in your head already. Right. So we can kind of make some connections a little bit, a little bit easier. Then John says this. I, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So you hear that there's a new woman being presented here. It's the New Jerusalem. It's a city, but the city is the people, right? And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That's the memory verse. Um, And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making how many things new? All. All. And who is the one seated on the throne, by the way? Who makes all things new? The Lamb does. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. What does that sound like? It is finished. (laughs) It's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the fatherless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I'll show you the bride the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. It's radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed on the east, three gates on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gate and its walls. The city lies foursquare, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia, Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, and the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth 
Christopher, I don't know how to say that, the 11th Jacinth, the 12th Amethyst. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the (coughs) Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Isn't that an awesome passage? So here are a couple questions to be thinking about before we talk about it tomorrow. What other place or places in scripture does this sound like? The Holy of Holies. And? What do you mean? Yeah, a tree of life, a big giant river. Sounds like Eden. Here's another one. What shape is the city? Perfect cube. Only one other cube in the Bible. The Holy of Holies. What is not in the city? No temple. Why? The whole thing is a holy of holies, and God himself is their temple. He's there. The land is their temple. Um, what else does the city not have? No sin. No uncleanness. No No sun or moon. Why? God is their light. The lamb is their lamp. And... It also has no darkness, no night. So it's not enough to compare this place to Eden. We have to go further than that. This is not, this is not a return to Eden. <coughs> it's something that surpasses <coughs> Eden. The storyline of the Bible is not from Eden back to Eden. The storyline of the Bible is from Eden to something better than Eden. So we'll talk about this more tomorrow. You know, I said just read the rest of what, uh, what's in chapter 22. Just read it again. Just read it again and think about it. Think about the symbols. Think about the language. Um, read 21 and 20. You know, read it every night for crying out loud. Why wouldn't you, right? Um, most amazing passage that you could think about. So, so read it again tonight. And then let's talk about it some more tomorrow. Um, so any questions before we leave? Yeah. 
Oh, did I? I'm sorry. Uh, I just misread the cowardly, the faithless. No orphans allowed. Batman cannot come. Tony Stark is out. No. 